Main tourist office, how can I help you today? Yes, ma'am, I can connect you to the Allagash Hotel. Just between us, it's awful busy that time of year, and uh, the pantry in Dawesport, it's just a skip up the road for hardly half the price. Me, ma'am? Oh, I guess I come up here to stay going on five years now. And I don't believe I could leave Maine now even if I wanted to. Oh, no, ma'am. There's nothing else like it nowhere. When the sugar maples turn scarlet and the hickories go all gold, it's like... It's like seeing the colors of paradise come back to you, even if it don't last but a week. Well, you're welcome, ma'am. It's been real nice talking to you, too. Have a nice day. Like seeing the colors of paradise come back to you. <laughs> Girl, all you don't see in Maine is the inside of this prison. Most people would rather hear a good lie over the truth any day, Jolene. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Hope. Uh, that's the opening scene of a movie called The Spitfire Grill. Percy Talbot is about to be released from a prison in Maine. She's going to become the newest resident of a small town called Gilead. And the writer of this movie named the town Gilead on purpose. It comes from this passage in Jeremiah 8. And let's read this out loud together. Wherever you are right now, find a screen and read this out loud with me. I hurt with the hurt of my people. I mourn and am overcome with grief. Is there no medicine in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why is there no healing for the wounds of my people? It's really what the movie is about. All kinds of people with all kinds of stories and past hurts and questions about how do those hurts get healed. Makes me wonder, what hurt did you carry with you into worship today? What is it in your life that's in need of healing? And do you find yourself, like Jeremiah, wondering, is there no medicine in Gilead? In the old King James Version, he asks, is there no balm in Gilead? Percy Talbot says, some people prefer a good lie over the truth. And so let's remind ourselves of the truth. The truth is, there actually is a balm in Gilead. It's Jesus. But sometimes the truth of our hurt, sometimes the truth of our past, Sometimes the truth of our hurt and guilt can kind of overpower the truth of God's grace and God's forgiveness. Throughout this month of November, we're working our way through the New Testament book of Hebrews. Today we get to Hebrews chapter 10, which begins this way. The old system under the law of Moses was just a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, but not the good things themselves. And pretty much every commentary that I was reading, trying to figure out what's the point of this passage in Hebrews, nobody really knows who the author of the book of Hebrews is, but everyone is in agreement that the author must have been familiar with the philosophy of Plato. Uh, Plato, the Greek philosopher, has something called the allegory of a cave. He says, imagine that there are prisoners in a cave. And they've been there their entire life. I don't know how or why, it's just an allegory, but when they're born, they're placed in this cave and they're chained to a wall so that the only thing they can see is the wall directly in front of them. 
Behind them, there's a fire, and as people walk by, or maybe animals walk by, or maybe, I don't know, little displays like this, the fire casts a shadow on the wall. The shadow wall is the only thing the prisoners have been able to see their entire life. And because that's all they see, that's all they know, they think that's all there is to reality. They don't realize that the shadows are actually pointing to a greater reality. The shadows are are pointing to a greater substance. They think the shadow, this is all there is to life. They don't know there's more to life than just this shadowy existence. And Plato says that's how a lot of people live their lives. Content, satisfied with the shadow when there's a greater substance, a greater reality available to each of us. Kind of reminds me of my favorite miracle story uh, in the Gospels. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus is with his disciples. They're kind of walking from village to village, town to town, and they come across a man who is blind. And because this is just kind of what Jesus does, he decides he wants to heal the man who is blind. So he takes the man out of the village. This is what the Bible says. You can look it up. Jesus spits in the man's eyes, and the huge line forms all kinds of people wanting Jesus to do that for them. No, he spits in the man's eyes. Then he places his hands on him and prays, and he asks the man, can you see anything now? And the man's response is kind of interesting. He says, well, I see something. I've been blind my whole life. I'm not exactly sure what it is I'm seeing. It looks like people. I think it's people, but maybe it's trees walking around. I'm not really sure. So he sees something, and what he sees is real, but it's just a dim reality. It's not the fullness of reality. And Jesus is not content with this. He's not satisfied with this. So he places his hands on the man again, prays for him again, and this time the man's eyes are completely opened. His sight is fully restored. He can see clearly. One of the messages that the writer of the book of Hebrews tries to communicate, not just here in chapter 10, but throughout the entire book, is this idea of the old system under the law of Moses is a shadow. Think about everything that's contained in the old system. We're talking about the priesthood. We're talking about the temple. We're talking about the entire sacrificial system. Everything that the Jewish people did as they worshiped God. And this writer is saying it's just a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come. It is not the good stuff. It's a shadow and the shadow points to the good stuff. The good stuff is Jesus. The good stuff has substance in the person of Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Another one of the messages that the writer is trying to communicate, and we see it particularly in Hebrews 10, he says, if you're content with the shadow reality, the shadow life, if that's all there is for you, especially as it comes to faith, it's actually going to lead to a burden of guilt. The old system, day after day, month after month, year after year, This is what worship was about. You show up to worship to make these offerings and these sacrifices to make sure the penalty for your sin has been paid. But because it's just a shadow, it's actually incapable of doing that. And so every time you come to worship, instead of having the sense that my guilt has been removed, worship just becomes a reminder of how guilty you are. We've talked the last several weeks about these trends and this reality that the church in America is in decline and all kinds of reasons for this. One of the reasons has to do with guilt. A comedian named Kathy Ladman says, all religions are the same. Religion is basically guilt with different holidays. And I talk to a lot of people who this is their experience with church, with Christianity. 
Why would you like to come to church? Why would I want to come to church and be reminded of how guilty I am? Most people are actually pretty aware of the ways in which they have messed up, the ways in which they've hurt people. They're aware of how much, you know, they just kind of stink. Life has become a disaster for all kinds of reasons. And the last thing they want to do is come to church and just kind of be reminded of that. They live day by day, moment by moment, with this pang of guilt over their their past. And they try to numb it in all sorts of ways, try to pretend it away. But it doesn't take much for that pang of guilt to kind of flare up into this sort of paralyzing burden of guilt. And the last thing they want to do is come to church and be reminded of that. What if if that's not really the point of coming to church? Yes, there are times we need to be reminded of our sin. We need to confess. But what if the primary reason we come to worship is to be pointed to a, a new way, that there's freedom from the prison of sin, freedom from the burden of guilt. There actually is a balm in Gilead. And we come to church, we come to worship to be reminded of that. Uh, In this movie, Spitfire Grill, Percy becomes the newest resident of the town of Gilead. Uh, She takes up residence in an apartment above the Spitfire Grill. And the Spitfire Grill is owned and operated by a woman named Hannah Ferguson, played by Ellen Burstyn in in the movie. And so Percy is now working in the cafe. But everywhere she goes, every step she takes, her past follows her. Her guilt follows her. There's a whole lot of gossip in this town and everybody's trying to figure out who is this new person and what's their story. And it really just kind of loads Percy up with guilt. Take a look. for the stove. Leave the tendon of the fire to me for now. Water's got to be set to boil for the cereal. Green's got to come up from the root cellar. And if there ain't a gallon of coffee out there in 15 minutes, I'll hear about it for the rest of the day. You got that, have you? Yeah. And I don't allow no smoking in the kitchen either. Oh, you get that hair out of your face working around food. I ain't open yet, Epe. I know what time you open, Hannah. Just come across to see if there was something you needed from the store. Well, I don't. And her name is Percy. You happy now? bring for you. Hannah knows what I've having. That one's been real popular today. You can want coffee with that? She's gonna pour this coffee. I saw it from the store last night. All the syrup. Now let me tell you something. 
that I've been in prison down at Wyndham for the last five years and I only got sent to solitary three times. Imagine that. Percy's paid her price to society, right? She's satisfied the demands of justice and still, and still as this new person in this town of Gilead, it's almost like she's been given a new last name. Instead of Percy Talbot, it's now Percy the ex-con. Percy the prisoner. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Joshua chapter 2. Uh, the book of Joshua, he's leading the people of Israel into the promised land following the death of Moses. And as they enter the promised land, they have to conquer their way into this promised land. The first city they have to conquer is Jericho. Uh, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. But before they come tumbling down, Joshua sends some spies just to kind of scout out the city of Jericho and to see what should our battle plan be. Uh, when, when the spies uh, get to Jericho, people start whispering and talking about it. And so the leaders, the authorities of Jericho, hear there are Hebrew spies there and they want to capture them. So the spies actually have to hide in the home of a woman named Rahab. Uh, Rahab is a member of what Rudyard Kipling calls the oldest profession in the world. She's a prostitute. And so they hide there in the home of Rahab the prostitute. And after the authorities stop looking for them, she helps them escape outside the wall of Jericho. And they're able to go back to uh, the camp and to tell Joshua what they discovered. But before they leave, Rahab says to these two spies, when you come back and conquer Jericho, you need to spare me. You need to spare my family. You need to make sure we are saved. And so Rahab becomes this really important biblical figure, and she shows up in some interesting places in the rest of the Bible. One of the places she shows up is in the very first chapter of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1 is the family tree of the Messiah. Uh, remember the Messiah, the prophecy says the Messiah is from the house and line of King David, and so as you follow the genealogical list in Matthew chapter 1, we're reminded Rahab is the great-great-great-grandmother of King David, one of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah. She also shows up in Hebrews chapter 11, a chapter sometimes referred to as the Hall of Fame of Faith. Great men and women of faith, people who accomplished incredible things, lived very faithful lives. Rahab shows up there. She shows up in the book of James, written by the brother of Jesus. But notice, notice how Rahab is referred to in these passages. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed, Hebrews 11.31 says. Rahab the prostitute is another example, James writes in chapter 2, verse 25. It's almost like these two biblical writers want us to make sure we know what Rahab's last name is. Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the sinner. Rahab the guilty. 
And she's not the only biblical character who gets this kind of treatment. Uh, Think about Jacob. The book of Hebrews is called Hebrews because uh, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the Hebrew people. So Jacob is a Hebrew name that means deceiver. It means schemer. It's a Hebrew word that's very similar to the Hebrew word for heel, not H-E-A-L, but the part of your foot. That's the heel, because when he's born, he's grabbing onto the foot, the heel of his brother, his twin brother Esau. And for much of his early life, that's actually the identity of Jacob. He's willing to lie. He's willing to deceive in order to grab whatever it is that he wants. And he doesn't care if his deceit ends up hurting people, ends up costing relationships as long as he gets what he wants. And it ends up destroying relationships. When he lies to his dad, when he deceives his brother, his brother gets so angry, Esau wants to kill Jacob, and so Jacob has to flee into the wilderness, running for his life. Decades later, after he's grown up a bit, he's married, he's a a father, and he decides, I want to restore my relationship with my brother. So he starts moving his whole family back closer to where Esau is. But the closer he gets to Esau, the more he thinks, maybe this isn't a great idea. Gets a little anxious, gets a little scared. He's having trouble sleeping one night when he has an encounter with God. The Bible says he wrestles with God all night long. And in the morning, he names the place Peniel, face of God. I've seen God face to face. And God does something as well. Your name will no longer be Jacob from now on. You will be called Israel. No longer going to be called liar, deceiver, schemer. From now on, you're going to be called Israel, which means the God who wrestles or one who wrestles with God. So that's in Genesis 32. You would think when you turn the page to Genesis 33, now when they're talking about this guy, they're not going to call him Jacob anymore. They're going to call him Israel. Nope. Still call him Jacob. And he shows up in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews 11, not as Israel, but as Jacob. Jacob the liar, Jacob the guilty, Jacob the sinner. And there's all sorts of examples of this in in the scriptures. Got Rahab the prostitute and Jacob the liar and Thomas the doubter and Zacchaeus the tax collector. People who are constantly referred to and remembered by what they have done in their past or who they used to be in their past. Just like Percy in this movie, they're viewing her, they're thinking of her, not as Percy Talbot, but as Percy the prisoner. And I wonder how many of us actually live our lives in a similar kind of way. That there's a blank after our name, and I wonder how you fill in that blank. Or I wonder how people in your life have maybe filled in that blank for you in ways that are this constant reminder of your mistakes and your failures, your guilt, the pain of your past. Some people prefer a good lie over the truth, Percy says. Let's remind ourselves of the truth. Truth is your past matters. Your past is absolutely important. We can learn some valuable lessons from our past. And the truth is our past does not define us. And that gets us back to the good news of Hebrews chapter 10. The old system, the way we used to do things, it's just a shadow. It's not the good stuff, but it points us to the good stuff. It points us to Jesus in a new system, a new covenant. How does Jesus usher in this new system, in this new covenant? Well, he proclaims the good news to the poor. He opens the eyes of the blind. He sets prisoners free. He heals those who are hurting. He forgives sins. 
And the people who are benefiting from the old system, they don't particularly like this. And so they have Jesus put to death, thinking that if we kill him, we're going to kill his way. But what they end up doing is putting to death the old way. Again, here's what the writer of Hebrews says, chapter 10, starting in verse 11. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. And here's the good news of verse 12. But our high priest, remember, there's a, a priest, there was a high priest, but that's just a shadow. That's not the good stuff. Our high priest, Jesus, the real high priest, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice, not a shadowy sacrificial system, but a once and for all sacrifice for our sins. Good for all time, the writer of Hebrews says. That's a good phrase. Let's say that out loud together. Good for all time. That means your past is taken care of. You no longer have to live with that blank after your name, or if you want to, just put the forgiven after it. Percy the forgiven, Rahab the forgiven, Thomas the forgiven, Scott the forgiven. You don't have to carry the burden of your guilt around with you anymore. And once you've been set free from that burden, now you're free to actually move forward. Look at verse 14. For by that one offering, he, Jesus, forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Look at the time orientation of that verse. It's not about the past. It's about the future. It's about where we are going. It's about how to move forward. And that gets us back to the vision. Last week, Pastor Mike uh, unveiled this 10 for 10 vision for hope, who God wants us to be, what God wants us to do over the course of the next decade. Uh, last Wednesday night, we had vision night here, and, and Pastor Mike and I were just blown away by how many of you showed up for vision night and the joy in the room and the spirit in the room. It was just awesome. We are we're ready to go wherever it is God's taking us. And so I want to just remind us again this new vision statement that we have, it begins with this phrase, powered by the Spirit. Let's remind ourselves of that. Let's say that out loud together. Powered by the Spirit. As we move into the future, we're going to be powered by the Spirit. But the Spirit has a little something to say about the past that's important as we move into the future. And it's talked about in Hebrews chapter 10. Look what verse 17 says. The Holy Spirit says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. It's a promise in the power of the Holy Spirit. Sins have been washed away. You're clean. It's all in the past. We don't even remember it anymore. It's what God says. It's what the Holy Spirit says. So why do you and I keep remembering it? Why do we carry this burden of our guilt around with us? Why do we sometimes intentionally, often unintentionally, heap a burden of guilt on other people when the Spirit says, because of Jesus, we can be done with it once and for all? when we can actually believe and, and receive God's grace and be set free from this burden of guilt, that's when the Holy Spirit's going to power us to move forward, to share God's love, to share God's grace, to share God's life because we've experienced it ourselves. That's who we want to be. That's what we want to do. And so two things as we get ready to close, two things that I want you to be praying about as a congregation. Number one, be praying about this vision. So we've got the vision booklet. The ones that are in the room in the worship center, we'd like for you to keep them here. We're going to be praying uh, through this vision the way we did today, uh, the next couple of weekends. So keep those here. If you forget and take it with you, you're guilty of theft. No. Uh, we've got more. We'll make more. If you really want one, we've got them available over on the New to Hope desk and would love for you to take one. It's also available online. You can download the whole thing there. 
And what I want you to be doing with this is reading through it prayerfully on your own. I mean, 10 goals that are pretty big and audacious and exciting and filled with adventure. And you, you might think, I want to do it all. You can't do it all. So read through it. And maybe there's one, maybe there's two, where as you're reading through it, God actually speaks to you. Your, your heart gets warmed and something starts to be inspired in you to be like, this is the one for me. This is the place where I am going to invest. And the resources that God has given me, I'm going to pour into making this part of the vision happen. It's not the pastors doing it. It's not the staff doing it. But all of us together, as we pray for this, I mean, watch out. What, what might God do when we get excited about, powered by the Spirit to move into this vision? For I think God wants to move mountains. Remember the wisdom of Scripture? This incredible idea and promise of Scripture, God's able to do infinitely more, abundantly beyond anything we could ask or dream or imagine. God's got mountains to move, and we get to be a part of that. One of the mountains we need to move is the mountain of making more space here. So the second thing I want you to be praying about is this campaign, Building to a Hope Beyond. Uh, we started it uh, a year ago in November. It's a three-year campaign. You look around this room, we've got images up on the walls of what we're trying to build and floor plans and that sort of thing. We're trying to make more space and better space primarily for youth and family ministry. Uh, Hope Kids and Power Life, our ministry to middle school students. Ignition, our ministry to high school students. Of course, any space is going to benefit everyone. But primarily, we want to figure out a way to do that. How can we have a, a preschool here and still have enough room for uh, Bible studies and classes for adults, that sort of thing? How can we make space where people can actually sit around and talk and visit and get to know each other after worship? That was one of my favorite things last weekend. You all were just kind of hanging out and looking at pictures and telling stories and laughing. And the truth is, we don't really have good space for doing that. Uh, the, the reality is, when this service ends in just a little bit, you're going to try to get from here out to the parking lot without forgetting your kids and getting trampled, because there's just no room for that. So if we could create more space for that, where relationships to get built, that's part of what makes a church strong and healthy. And so just be praying about what God might be asking you to do. Lord, what do you want to do through me to accomplish your will for hope? Maybe it means there's uh, two years left in this campaign. Maybe it means you're going to make a, a two-year commitment. Maybe it means a, a one-time gift. Maybe what God says to you as you're praying is it's just not the right time for you to give. And that's fine, too. We don't want there to be any guilt. We don't want there to be any pressure. We want you to just take some time with God and let God grow your faith, however that might play out. I want you to experience the joy of cheerful giving for one time rather than having a church kind of pressure you or guilt you into giving. So, two prayer requests. What's the uh, role that you're going to play in this vision and then in this uh, giving campaign? What does it look like for you to participate in that? I think it's important for me to say, here's why I'm participating in both. Uh, I'm 100% I'm bought in to the mission and vision of hope. And here's why I'm giving to this campaign. I've stood in front of a bunch of the pictures that we've got plastered all over the church in the last 13 years of the history of Hope Ankeny. And as I look at the pictures, I think of the stories, uh, the stories of the people and the way God has shown up and people have had encounters with God and people here have wrestled with God and God has provided healing and answers and hope and changed directions in, in people's life and burdens of guilt have been lifted and freedom has been found. I look back over the last 13 years and I know a lot of those stories, but then I think about what, what are the stories God has yet to write? Who, who are the people who've never come in 
to any of the doors of hope who are going to in the next decade, and, and what's the story that's going to come out of that? What's the life change that's going to come out of that? Pastor Mike, last week, I think in, in most of the messages, he said, what if the next Billy Graham or the next Mother Teresa is in one of our churches here? How awesome would it be to see God raise up new leaders for the next generation, uh, whatever the church is going to look like as we move forward? And I want to be a part of that. I want to give to something like that. One more clip uh, from this movie, The Spitfire Grill. Hannah Ferguson owns the Spitfire Grill, and she's been trying to sell it for quite a while because she's like, I'm just too old for this. But there's no buyers. And at one point, she falls down some stairs, and she, she breaks her ankle. And so Percy and another woman named Shelby are kind of caring for Hannah, but they also take over running the Spitfire Grill. As Hannah recovers, Percy has an idea. She's like, you know, I heard about these contests where people will send in $100 and then they'll write a little essay just kind of saying, hey, here's my story. Here's why I would like to own and run a place like the Spitfire Grill. And, and then you just let people send in those letters and you pick the essay that you like the best and you give it the grill to that person for 100 bucks. Well, they do it and thousands of letters start coming in from all over the world. Each of the letters has a $100 bill in it, so hundreds of thousands of dollars for Hannah to sell the grill. And each of the letters has fascinating stories. Stories that'll make you laugh, stories that'll break your heart. So I want you to watch this clip as the first letter comes in, listen to the story, and listen to the conversation it leads to, and see if it doesn't connect with your story in any way. Take a look. A letter come for you this morning. Yeah? Hannah Ferguson, care of the Spitfire Grill. Who do you know from Chicago? I'm sure I have no idea. $100. Dear Mrs. Ferguson, I saw the article about your contest last night when I couldn't sleep. I was sick of watching TV, so I picked up the paper. The reason I can't sleep is because my family is falling apart. My wife walked out last year and left me with our two high school boys. I don't think her leaving us was all my fault, but they blame me for it anyway. The way they're acting now, I'm afraid if I don't do something soon, they may leave me too. Maybe if I could take us all off to some place like yours in Gilead, that won't happen. Might work better if you let me do it. I suppose it might. Hey, uh, just don't press too hard.
still pretty tender in there, huh? So enough. Seeing as how the doctor keeps telling me how well I'm healing. You suppose if a wound goes real deep, the healing of it can hurt almost as bad as what caused it? Might be. Everybody's got a story. Everybody's got some hurt and some pain from their past. Everybody's got some sort of guilt that they carry around with them. And sometimes we all wonder, can this ever be healed? Can this ever be forgiven? So we come to the Lord's table to be reminded it's by his wounds we are healed. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took some bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat. It's my body given for you. Eat this and remember me when you eat it. Later in the meal, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for you and for all people for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink this and remember me when you drink it. Let's stand and let's pray together the prayer Jesus taught his followers to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> 